Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Rod Anderson. Our topic tonight is called The Sunday Controversy. And a real question or questions that any thinking person should ask who um, claims to be a Christian or if a person is thinking about embracing Christianity and they want answers to pivotal questions regarding what Christians do, then there will be a number of questions that they could ask Christians. For example, they could ask, why do you practice the things that you do on Sunday, the rites and the ceremonies that you do on Sunday? Why do you do these things? Now, it would be an inappropriate answer for those people when questioned to say, or those Christians when questioned, those Christians, when questioned, would say, well, because my father did it, my grandfather did it, and their parents before them did it. That would be an inappropriate reason. Um, uh, If you were to ask them, why do you go to church on the day that you do? Again, another inappropriate answer, well, well, because all my friends like that day, and we go to church together. What about if you were to ask them, why do you pray? Why do you bother praying? What's the value of prayer? And if those same Christians were to say to you, because it relaxes me, it makes me feel better in myself, that wouldn't convince anybody. And it certainly wouldn't convince me. Or if you were to say, you know, um, why were you baptized? And if those same Christians would say to you, well, because all my friends decided to get baptized at the same time, and I thought it was a jolly good idea if I did the same. See, these sort of um, uh, frivolous type answers uh, don't give a person much hope, much confidence in the authority of the churches when they're claiming to be God's representatives on earth, when they're claiming to espouse the teachings of the Bible, when people do not know why they do the things they do. So this study tonight is going to be a determination to see is it clear in the minds of people why they worship on the day they do. Now the reason any Christian participates in any church practice or church life it's because it is a loving response for what Jesus Christ has done for us with his death with his resurrection and ascension to us and secondly because it's authoritatively demonstrated within the pages of Holy Writ. These are the two platforms which undergirds every Christian's belief. It is a loving response to what Jesus Christ has done for us and it's also found in the Bible itself. They are the two key platforms. Any teaching, any teaching within the Christian fellowship which deviate from these two combined premises should be discarded. They should be set aside as naught. Therefore, let us consider our topic tonight. It's called the Sunday Controversy. And what we're looking for here is can Sunday keeping be supported from the Bible itself? Now, 
We've already discovered from Genesis to Revelation that God asks us to remember his special day, the seventh day Sabbath, in honor of his creative act. We read about that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We saw that in Exodus chapter 20, it says, remember the Sabbath day. We saw that Jesus kept the Sabbath day. We saw that all the disciples kept the Sabbath day. And uh, we are going to see in a future presentation that it was the trend of the large majority of Christians to keep the Sabbath day which will surprise many people but that's for another day but I want you to remember what Jesus says in relation to keeping commandments Jesus says this in John chapter 14 and verse 15 Jesus says if you love me do what he says if you love me keep my commandments now some people say yes I keep Jesus commandments love God with all your heart mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself we've already seen in previous presentations that Jesus was merely quoting from the Old Testament books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy there when we ask what are the commandments that Jesus kept then we remain in the book of John because in John chapter 15 verse 10 Jesus says this if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love how many people here want to abide in Jesus's love yeah all of you nodding your head okay we want to abide in Jesus love and we want to keep his commandments but notice what it says just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love so the evidence is very clear from this passage here that the commandments that Jesus kept are the commandments of his father and the commandments of the father are the ten commandments and we've already seen in a previous presentation that the ten commandments are a transcript of the very character of God they reveal the character of God and we see the ten commandments deal with our relationship with God and also our relationship with those people around us now when we review this this topic title tonight that uh, regarding what day we should worship on the first and most obvious question that we have to ask is is there any biblical imperative to keep Sunday as the day of worship because the real reality is that people are very much drawn by what their ministers what their reverends what their pastors teach that's the reality when you ask a person whether they should worship on sabbath or they should worship on sunday most people will go to the default default position and say well because of what my pastor or my minister or my priest does that's good enough for me but is it good enough for god the second reason people may give in relation to this is because they're not familiar with what the Bible actually says on the day of worship. They, they really don't know what the Bible says on the topic of Sunday worship or on Sabbath worship. And the other thing is, of course, that they go by what the majority says. Surely if the majority is doing this, it must be right. So this is the sort of rationale that they use for uh, their Sunday keeping. And thirdly, they know little of church history They don't know what the history of the Christian church actually talks about the day of worship. And finally, they also don't understand what Paul was warning of in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Notice what he says here. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock to shepherd the church of God. For I know this, that after my departure, what does it say there? Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
the Apostle Paul warns that leaders would arise, would come up among the Christian fraternity with the intention to lead people away from the truth or to build their own empires, to gather people from the fraternity of faith with their own peculiar doctrines. And the Apostle Paul calls those men wolves. That's how they're identified here. These are people who are particularly susceptible to being misled because they have neglected the study of the Word of God themselves. And so this is why an understanding of what the Bible says is so essential to all individuals. And the reality is, the sad reality today is that the Christian churches are as far away from the Bible today as was any 18th century wild hottentot in the 17 and the 1800s. That's a reality. That's how far Christians have drifted away from the Bible. Therefore, in order to leave no stone unturned, we're going to examine every text in the Bible which talks about Sunday worship from the beginning all the way through to the end. Because obviously, if you have an allegiance to Sunday worship and uh, you believe that it is true and you believe that it should be the day that people worship on, then you're going to want to find that text which authorizes the change of worship or the day of worship. Now, you have to admit that to to find biblical authority for the first day of the week, for Sunday, the first day of the week, there must be a command there. There must be a command along the lines, the Sabbath has finished and we're now worshipping in honour of the resurrection. There must be something like that. Or stop worshipping on Saturday and worship on Sunday in its place. There must be a verse in the Bible that identifies the command in such a fashion. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at every text in the New, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, which talks about Sunday, and surely we will find a commandment, if it's there, that gives authority for the change of the day of worship. All right, now let's begin. Now you may not know this, but Sunday is mentioned only nine times in the, in the entire Bible. The first day of the week, Sunday, is only identified nine times in the entire Bible. We're going to go to the first occasion that it comes forth. And this is found in, Deut- uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were what? The first day. Now, this is the only time that the first day of the week is mentioned in the Old Testament. It doesn't come up again. We have eight more, eight more occurrences of the day of the first day of the week coming up. They're all found in the New Testament, obviously. That's all that remains. But the first five that we're all going to look at all revolve around the time of Jesus' resurrection. Does that make sense? So the first five that we're looking at in the New Testament, deal with the time of Christ's resurrection. Then there are three others that are found in the New Testament. And those three are really viewed as the the powerful cases for the uh, change of the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday. So we're going to start now. Now remember, the first five all deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, and we read this. Now, after the Sabbath... 
Well, what have we just learned straight away? We've learned straight away that the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, so we've realized straight away that Sabbath is not the first day of the week. That's the first day. Or the other way to put it is the first day of the week is not the Sabbath day. So now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So this is our first text. So Mary Magdalene, uh, they came to see the tomb. Now, I've got a question for you here. Does that text tell us that we are to keep the first day of the week holy? No, it doesn't. Does it say there that you're to put your money in the offering plate? No, it doesn't say that at all. Let's go to the second text now. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of And Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Now, does this text tell us that they've changed the day of worship? No, it doesn't. Does it say that they've decided to do some special celebrations in honour of the resurrection at this point in time? No, it doesn't say that at all. Let's continue on now. We're looking at Mark chapter 16, verse 9. This is the third occasion. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, there it is again, the third occurrence of the first day of the week in the New Testament, he appeared first to who? Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So, tell me, does this passage say the first day of the week of worship is a holy day? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. In fact, this text here only tells us that Jesus Christ rose on the first day of the week. That's all it tells us. And in fact, as I said, the first five passages of this investigation into the first day of the week found on, in the New Testament all deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the fourth one now and you'll see the point that I'm making. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb uh, early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been, what? The stone had been taken away. So is there any command here to keep Sunday holy? It doesn't. Does it say put your money into the offering bag? No, it doesn't say anything like that. So let's continue on. This is the fifth example that we're looking at now and it's found in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24 verse 1. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them. Let's pause here for a moment. The first day of the week, what day is that? Okay, that's Sunday. We know it's Sunday, the first day of the week. And it says, came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, does this text here tell us to go to church on Sunday in honor of the resurrection? It doesn't say that at all, does it? See, This book was written, the book of Luke was written by a doctor by the name of Luke, Dr. Luke. He was a Greek convert to Christianity. It was written around 26 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. So that's around 57 AD. 
And uh, it's very important in our study tonight because we see that Dr. Luke also wrote the book of Acts as well. And the book of Acts covers the first 30 years of the, the, the growth of the Christian church and the spread of the Christian church after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. So Luke makes a very significant point, though, in the opening verses of the book of Acts. Now, remember, the book of Acts deals with the first 30 years of the Christian movement. It's different to the book of Luke, which deals with the life, the ministry, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he opens with a very important passage. And I want you to consider these words. In Acts chapter 1, he says this, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now let's pause here. What's the former account? Now this is Acts chapter 1. What's the former account? That's right. It's the book of Luke. So he says that in the former account, that is the book of Luke, he includes everything that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and for, uh, 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, you may say, well, that's very interesting, very interesting indeed. But what significance does it have to us? Well, there in the Gospel of Luke, he's saying that he included everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. He included all the commandments that he'd given to his disciples. But the book of Luke only mentions the first day of, of the week once, Sunday once, and there is no commandment there to keep the day holy. Does that make sense? This is important to us because Luke says he's included everything that Jesus instructed in the former treatise. That includes the 40 days after his uh, resurrection when he was with the disciples before he ascended to heaven. And the Bible is completely silent on the, or the book of Luke and Luke himself is completely silent in regard to the change of the day of worship. Now, you think about this. Think about this. If if there was a command by Jesus to keep the day of worship, to change the day of worship, do you think it would have been included in the Gospels? Oh, yes, because it would have been a huge thing. It would have been a massive thing. We have an occasion where a man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, this is recorded in Matthew chapter 19, he says, keep all the commandments. Now, if if it is true, as many preachers preach and many teachers teach within the Christian fraternity today, that the Ten Commandments finished at the time of the cross, uh, and, and particularly they're wanting to remove the, uh, the importance of the Sabbath, then Jesus would have said to that man, he says, now keep all the commandments until my resurrection. And then don't worry about them anymore. They're no longer valid. You know, how, how frivolous, how, how silly is that? that? That's a little fatuous, don't you think? To think that Jesus would give the instruction he did knowing that he was going to die and the, the commandments would change or the day of worship would change. You see, it just doesn't make any sense. No reasonable person would embrace that teaching. No thinking person would say, yes, I accept that. It's illogical. It makes no sense at all. You see, 
when Luke talks about the commandments here, everything that Jesus began to do and to teach, he's talking about not only the time of his three and a half years of ministry, he's also talking about the day after his ministry. And remember this, that the commandments of God are just that, they're commandments of God. And no man has the authority to change any of the commandments of God. Not even the disciples after the resurrection, even after Pentecost had the authority to change the commandments. But let's move on now. We're going to our sixth account of the first day of the week found in the Bible in the New Testament. It says this. Then this, this is John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the some, same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for what? What does it say there? The doors were shut. The King James Version, I think, says it's locked. The doors are locked. And the reason is for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now, this is the evening of the resurrection. And Jesus has come among the disciples. The apostle John says here that the disciples are gathered in the upper room. Now, some preachers say that and denominations teach that this was the first gathering in honor of the resurrection. People have heard that. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, the disciples are there. They're gathering in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when you look at the text closely, it actually tells us, first of all, they're there because of fear of the Jews. The doors are locked because they're fearful. What had happened to Jesus was also going to happen to them as well. That's why the doors are locked. The doors are sealed so nobody will come in. They're there. They're fearful of what was going to happen to them. See, the disciples, had not come together to inaugurate a new holy day the reason why they're there is they're in hiding that's the reason they're fearful that's the only reason but further to that the disciples did not even believe at that point in time that Jesus had Jesus had risen do you know why because the bible said so when you go to the book of mark mark chapter 16 we read this It says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd cast out seven demons. It's all straightforward. And then it says, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. So what did Mary Magdalene do? The Bible says that she went and told the disciples what she saw. Then... We read this in verse 11. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, what does it say there? They did not believe. Did the disciples believe that Jesus had risen? They didn't even believe. Notice this. And after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Now, As we study the book of Luke, we see that there's an occasion after the resurrection where Jesus is, uh, where two disciples, one's name, one disciple's name is Calipas and the other is unnamed. They're walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus walks beside them, the Bible says. He appears and starts to walk beside them and they think that he's just a stranger. But later, 
when they realize it's Jesus, immediately they run back to Jerusalem. And this is what Mark is referring to here. He's referring to Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple who came back and told the disciples that they'd seen the risen Christ. And the Bible says here, they did not believe them. What's the last word there? Either. They didn't believe the account of Mary and they didn't believe the account of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then it says, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. And what does it do? What does it say here? He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Is that clear? Did the disciples believe that Jesus had risen from the grave? No, they did not. Is it possible that they're inaugurating a new holy day in honor of the resurrection? No, it's not possible. It's ridiculous to come to such a conclusion. They couldn't because they didn't even know that Jesus had risen at at that point in time. And as I said before, even if it was in the disciples' hearts, which it wasn't, but even if it was in the disciples' hearts to have a day of worship and honor the resurrection, they didn't have the authority to do it because it's God's command. The fourth commandment is the commandment of God. The authority wasn't there. Now let's go to the seventh text. And this is found in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 to 12 we're going to read from here it says this now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread Paul ready to part to depart the next day spoke to them and continued his message until when until midnight. Now I want to read that again because I don't want you to miss it. Now on the first day of the week, this is the seventh time that we found the first day of the week Sunday mentioned in the Bible. It says now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul ready to depart uh, the next day spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, there are some Christians who say, well, this is an evening gathering. uh, Sorry, this is a gathering in honor of uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's on the first day of the week. Um, But let's read on. So we see here on the first day of the week, Paul preaches until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. It's just underscoring the fact that it's night. And in a window, a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And then it says, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up. What? He was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is what? His life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day or daybreak, he departed, the Bible says. So here we see that there's a situation that has arisen the Paul's preaching up until midnight. The Bible says that there's a young man by the name of Eutychus and he fall, he's drowsy and he's sitting in the window. He falls asleep and he falls down and he dies, the Bible says. Then Paul comes upon him, prays over him and the life is restored in him. Then the Apostle, Paul's conti- Apostle Paul continues to preach till, the, till daybreak and notice what it says. And they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted now 
before we go any further, does this passage say that the first day of the week is a day of worship? No, it doesn't say that at all. Tell me, does this passage here tell us that they were to give an offering on the day of worship? No, it doesn't say that at all. You see, what we discover from this is we have to realize that this meeting happened at Troas. This is a farewell trip to Paul. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he's been warned by the Holy Spirit. Others have warned him, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that when he goes to Jerusalem, that will mark the final chapter of his life. So he is on a farewell trip. He's in Troas and he preaches until midnight and he continues then until the... Uh, the daybreak the bible says that there are many lights on and this all happened on the evening of the first day of the week but what you need to understand is that the evening of the first day of the week is referring to saturday night some people think it's referring to sunday but it's actually referring to sunday uh, to saturday night you see we measure time from midnight to midnight according to the old babylonian calendar that's the way we measure time but in the bible a day is measured from sunset to sunset the dark part of the day comes first and then the light part of the day so from sunset to sunset a day is measured in biblical terms when we have a look at the opening chapters of genesis it says the evening and the morning were the first day of the week the evening and the morning were the second day the evening and morning were the third day etc so the dark part of the day was the commencement of the biblical day so whenever sunset was from sunset to sunset that measured a biblical day Uh, this is verified in the leviticus leviticus 23 verse 32 it says from evening to evening you shall celebrate what what does it say there you shall celebrate your sabbath now when was the sabbath measured from it was measured from sunset to sunset now when we have a look at what day is the sabbath we know that saturday is clearly the seventh day of the week we see it there on most calendars as i've said before but using the biblical measurement of um, identifying a time we see that it begins at sunset and it concludes on sunset so for people who are honoring the sabbath the sabbath begins sunset friday night and concludes on sunset saturday night the dark part of the day comes first and then the light part of the day comes next so when we think about this episode here in uh in acts chapter 20 what we're seeing is that this meeting was actually on the saturday night of the first day of the week because paul preaches until midnight now we have to also remember that this is supported elsewhere in the scripture now i hope you can see this this isn't too clear i do apologize for that but i'm sure you can see it okay in luke chapter 4 verse 40 uh, we read this it says now when the sun was setting all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him and he laid his hands on every one of them and it says that he healed them it says there when the sun was setting so when the sun is setting it's the conclusion of the sabbath day now 
We have to remember this. Because the setting of the sun marked the conclusion of the Sabbath day, all of a sudden in Luke chapter 4, verse 40, we see all these people bringing their sick and bringing those who are diseased to Jesus for him to heal him. Why then? Because the Jews were strict about their keeping of the Sabbath. And they actually believed that healing on the Sabbath day was a sin. So therefore, going back to the meeting that we see in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, the meeting that happens on the first day of the week when, Jesus, when Paul is preaching till midnight is referring to what we call Saturday night because it says, Then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So what did Paul do? He preached until midnight. He restores the young man's life, or God restores the young man's life. And then Paul preaches until Sunday morning, until daybreak Sunday morning. And then he bids farewell to everyone. And he makes his way to Assos, which was a journey of around about 48 kilometers. Why? Because Paul viewed the first day of the week as a regular work day. Paul used it for travel he didn't rest on the sabbath day as he did uh we see in other places in the book of acts he used it as a common work day and he used it to walk to a place called assos which as i said was 48 kilometers kilometers away paul didn't keep the first day of the week holy and the book of Acts covers the first 30 years of Christianity. We don't see any, any passage in the book of Acts there that identifies the authority to change the day of worship. All of the disciples continued to worship on the Sabbath day. Now, some people will say in relation to the passage that we've just been reviewing that the disciples broke bread there with Paul. Therefore, it was a time of communion and the time of communion identifies it as a day of worship uh, honouring Sunday. But I want you to notice these words found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 as we look at the screens. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now, when you look at this passage on the screen here, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. Now, some people may say that that's referring to the breaking of bread, bread in the communion service, but it doesn't matter if it's referring to that because here we see that they did it daily. They did it daily. And we have to remember that only God can make a day holy. Breaking bread, whether it's communion service or not, does not make a day holy. Does that make sense? So whether the disciples in the departing um, meal with the Apostle Paul were having a communion service, it is irrelevant because a communion service doesn't make a day holy. Now, the question that people may ask, though, is if... The day is not made holy because of the communion service, because obviously it's not. But what is it? Why was it included then? Why did Luke include this in his treatise that we identify as the book of Acts? Well, it was because of the restoration of the young man's life, Eutychus. It was a notable miracle. And that's why Dr. Luke included it in his journal that we call the book of book of acts not because the disciples had changed the day of worship from sabbath to sunday make sense 
All right, let's go to our eighth verse now. And this is found in 1 Corinthians. This is the eighth time that the first day of the week is identified. And we read this in 1 Corinthians. Now, I want to tell you, before we go any further, that this is viewed by by many Christians as the heavyweight text. This just proves it, that the disciples were worshipping on the first day of the week. Well, let's examine it. Let's see if that is so. Here we read. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to read a couple of verses here. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So Paul is writing a letter here to the Corinthians, and he's writing it from the city of Ephesus. And he says, uh, he he writes on, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now, question, does this text tell us that they come to, come to uh, worship on the first day of the week for a church service? No, it doesn't say that. Does it say that they're meeting each, each day for worship on the first day of the week? It doesn't say that either. Does it say that they collected money from a public meeting at that occasion? No, it doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say anything of a kind. We've just read that the Apostle Paul's instruction to the Corinthians was to lay aside something. If you go to the RSV version, it says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper. I think the the King James might have privately store up, So it's talking about storing up money or setting money aside and we ask why? Well, because Paul was responding to the famine that is described in Acts chapter 11 in Jerusalem and Paul was on a humanitarian uh, journey and he was also ministering and preaching and teaching as he travelled but at the same time he was gathering funds for the starving saints back in Jerusalem. That's why Paul sends the message. And so Paul knew that if he was to simply arrive at Corinth and then explain the situation to the Corinthians, that he would get precious little. So Paul is smart. He's very smart indeed. What does he do? He sends a a letter which will precede him by about four months. He knows there is plenty of time for the Corinthian believers to store up money before he gets there because Paul also says, so that there would be no collections when I come. So Paul knows that by sending this letter in advance, he's likely to get more from the Corinthian believers because they've had time to save up because of the situation that was happening in Jerusalem at that very time. Now, why on the first day of the week? Why? Why would they do it on the first day of the week? Well, remember, the seventh day of the week is Sabbath. Friday, the day before, is preparation day. And so they've worked throughout the week. They've said... And now what they're doing on the first day of the week, they're planning, they're budgeting what they're going to do with their money for the week. And as they budget what they're going to be using their money on, they're actually, Paul says, while you're thinking about these things, just pull a little bit aside, set some aside, store it up until I come so that there'll be no gatherings when I come for the suffering believers in Jerusalem. See, that's all 1 Corinthians 
uh, is referring to there, nothing else. It's not talking about the establishment of a public time of worship where, where offerings were, ga were gathered in at the, at the church. It's not talking about anything like that at all. Now, we have visited every text in the Bible. Every text in the Bible which refers to the first day of the week and not one, not one supports sacred, Sunday sacredness. Are we all in agreement on that? We are. Good. Okay. We're all in agreement. Everyone's happy with that. So there is no biblical command to keep the day of, of uh, the first day of the week, Sunday, holy at all. It's not found there. There's no command to change the day of worship from Sunday, from Sabbath to Sunday. Now, it's very interesting what you discover in other denominations' writings. For example, a very famous, very famous Baptist minister by the name of Edward T. Hiscox, he was the writer of the Baptist Manual. He wrote many book works, in fact. He, he was a prolific writer. He wrote uh, a manual for the pastors. He wrote a book called Principles and Doctrines for the Baptist Church. He wrote another one on principles and practices of the uh, Baptist Church. He's high, he was highly esteemed. He's dead now. He lived in the 18th century. But he's still greatly loved and greatly um, appreciated by the Baptist fraternity today. But he says this. Hiscos says this in the Baptist manual. He says, There was and is a commandment to keep holy the Sabbath day, but that Sabbath day was not what? It was not Sunday. It will be said, however, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh to the first day of the week with all its duties, privileges and sanctions earnestly desiring information on this subject, which I have studied for many years, I ask, where can the record of such transaction be found? Not in the New Testament, absolutely not. There is no scriptural evidence of the change of the Sabbath institution from the seventh to the first day of the week. Well, how interesting is that? How interesting is that? That here you have this Baptist who says there's no scriptural support for it at all. In fact, you're going to receive material when you go out today, which identifies what all of the congregations actually have to say in their, sorry, what all the denominations have to say in their official literature. And they all admit in one way or another that there is no scriptural impetus for keeping the first day of the week Sunday at all. So what brought about the change? Now, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you a quick overview, really a very quick overview of what we're looking at uh, next week. Next week, we're going to go into a lot of detail. So you're saying, so where did this change come from? Well, I could leave everything to next week, but I just want you to understand this and understand it very clearly. In the first century, there was a lot of persecution against the Jews and against the Christians. And unfortunately, the Christians were often lumped with the Jews because of the common day of worship and also because the large majority of Christians, at least for the first 30 years, were mostly Jews themselves. That's just the historical fact. We can't deny that. But the Jews were a rebellious lot and there were uprisings and there were riots in the cities and oftentimes when 
the local Roman authorities came down upon the Jews, they also include the, um, uh, the Christians as well. And it was discovered, it was felt after time that it was necessary for the Christians to separate themselves to protect the fledgling movement. And that's all very well. So they decided that there were certain things they were bringing to practice. And one of those things that they, they thought they'd bring into practice was that they would start worshipping in honour of the day of the resurrection, despite the fact that there was no evidence for it. Now, this occurred in Rome and in Alexandria in Egypt, uh, around about... 65 to 75 AD, something like that, despite the fact that, as I said, it's not supported in the Bible. We carry on in time and we go all the way down to the fourth century. We see that there's a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine. He's become a Christian convert and in 321 AD, he places his his approval on honouring Sunday as the day of worship throughout the entire empire because it was to his political advantage to unite the pagans and the Christians together. Now, these are the words of this uh, act uh, instituted by Emperor Constantine in 321 AD. He says, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all the workshops be closed. So this happened in 321 AD. But the majority of Christians continued to worship on the Sabbath, despite the fact that uh, Constantine designed to unite the empire to unite the pagans and the Christians together uh, by giving them a common day of worship. But we see later, we see later in 364 AD, there is a council. It was called the Council of Laodicea. And the Council of Laodicea, the church places its ecclesiastical approval upon the honouring of the first day of the week. That happened in 364 AD. Notice what it says. This is from the Council of Laodicea, Canon 29, 364 AD. It says this, Christians shall not Judaize, that is, keep the Sabbath, and be idle on Saturday, Sabbath original, but shall work on that day, but the Lord's day they shall especially honour. You see, gradually over the centuries, the change of worship was instituted. But you're going to see, right up into the 16th century, many, many Christians continued to honour the Sabbath, despite the despite the fact that the state had authorized the keeping of the first day of the week, Sunday, and despite the fact that they had received ecclesiastical approval in 364 AD by the Council of Laodicea. There's a, a marvelous set of books written by a man by the name of Schaaf. He was a German theologian in the 1800s. He wrote a series called The History of Christianity, a wonderful series of, of books. And the insights that he has as he, as he goes back and, and finds the old documents and records the events of the church are quite marvellous. But this is what he says. He's an evangelical, he's a Protestant, but this is what he says. He says uh, in the Creeds of Christendom, the Catholics allege the Sabbath changed into Sunday, the Lord's Day, contrary to the Decalogue. Now, what's the Decalogue? 
The Decalogue is just another term used to identify the Ten Commandments. So the Catholics allege the Sabbath changed into Sunday, the Lord's Day, contrary to the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments as it appears. Neither is there any example more boasters of than the changing of the Sabbath day. Great, say they, is the power and authority of the church since it dispensed with the what? Since it dispensed with the Ten Commandments. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Since the Catholic Church dispensed with the Ten Commandments, but what does Jesus say? Jesus say, I'm oh, sorry, the Apostle Paul says, love is the fulfilling of what? Love is the fulfilling of the law. And how true it is. We prove our love for Jesus Christ by what we do in our lives. We play, because we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, because we understand what the, the sacrifices that Jesus has made for us, we respond to Jesus in the appropriate way. And we do those things that are pleasing to him, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Does that make sense? Yes, we do these things because the Holy Spirit is residing in our hearts and we're responding to the light that we have. And these good works are the outworking of the Spirit of God within us as we respond to Jesus Christ. And part of the response is the keeping of God's laws. You remember, Jesus kept the Sabbath. All of the disciples kept the Sabbath. Christians in every generation have continued to keep the Sabbath. And in fact, many Christians right up into the 16th century continue to keep the Sabbath. And do you really appreciate what Jesus has done for you? And if you do really appreciate what Jesus has done for you, will you be faithful and keep the day that God asks you to keep? There's some questions that I want to ask you now. Do you agree with this statement? I can see that man tried to change the Sabbath and not God. Does that make sense to you? Can you see that now? Put up your hands if that makes sense. All right. Very good. Very good. I would like to follow the Lord in keeping the Sabbath. How many here would like to say they do that? God bless you all. God bless you. And finally, I would like to receive more information on the Sabbath. Well, you're going to get a lot more information as you go out tonight. There's a lot of material that I'm going to be sharing with you. Uh, it's quite, uh, there's, I think there's about a dozen pages or uh, 13 or 14 pages in the material that you're going to receive. But there's a lot of material, historical material, and you'll be absolutely amazed, flabbergasted even, when you realize how the other denominations or how different denominations have recognized the authority of the Ten Commandments and also the authority of the Sabbath. Remember also as you go out to pick up your uh, free study guide as well on this subject tonight. For those of you who are watching at home, uh, you can uh, go to the address which is going to come up on the screen shortly, uh, theorchardmelbourne.org.au. Send your details in and all the material will be sent out to you no matter where you live in the world. Now, our program next week is called From Sabbath to Sunday, An Historical Perspective. 
It's going to amaze you as we track Sabbath keepers throughout the century. And this is throughout the centuries. And this is going to be amazing to you what you discover because you're going to find that the Sabbath was, was as far away as China. It was in India. It was in Ireland, in Scotland, in Africa, all over. It's an amazing study. You'll enjoy it, but it will just add more fabric, fabric to the understanding that you presently have on this whole issue about Sabbath and Sunday. All right. Well, God bless you all. Why don't we just close our eyes, bow our heads at least for prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for this time that we've been able to have together as we've studied on this very important subject, the Sunday controversy. And I pray that your spirit would rest upon us, that you will guide us and lead us each as we, as we think about these things. For those people who are still in the valley of decision, I pray that you, uh, and I know you are, Father, moving upon their hearts. And it's your desire that we all truly appreciate what Jesus has done for us by our loving response in keeping the commandments, which includes the Sabbath. So I thank you, Father, for Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. It's in his dear name that we pray. Amen. This message was made available by the Orchard Melbourne Central City Church. For more resources like this, visit theorchardmelbourne.org.au. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio. Have you ever wondered how we got the Bible? I mean, if this is God's Word, then how did we get it from God's mouth to this printed page that we have here today? Well, we'll look at this exact question in this episode, so stick around. How did we get the Bible? To understand this, we need to explore a few terms. Revelation, inspiration, and prophets. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This process of human beings being moved by the Holy Spirit is what we refer to as revelation. This is how God reveals Himself to a member of the human race. The revelation of God is deeply rooted in our history. And we find each time God encounters a human, we gain an insight into who and what He is. And this is the revelation. For example, in the books of Genesis, we find that God reveals Himself to Adam and Eve in the garden. This revelation tells us something about what God is, what He's like, and what He's not. Later, we see in history that God reveals Himself to more and more of humanity in different encounters, like with Noah, or Abraham, or Moses, Daniel, and all the other human authors of Scripture. Each revelation was different and was progressive. It's also important to note that these revelations were only partial we still have not seen all of God. And yet, with each progressive revelation, 
we gain more and more insight into who and what God is. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, we're told that, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. Progressive revelation means that God did not unfold his entire plan to humanity in the book of Genesis, or for that matter, in the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament revelation, though accurate, it's incomplete. The fullness of certain teachings cannot be completely found in the Old Testament. This is why we have a New Testament. The second term that we use when talking about how we got the Bible is the word inspiration. This is the process of taking the revelation given by God and communicating it to a wider human audience. Sometimes this was just done orally, such as in Noah's call to repentance for 120 years, or Abraham instructing his descendants. But in most cases, it involved writing a message down, such as in the cases of people like Moses and Daniel or Jeremiah, Isaiah, and so on. The Apostle Paul tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. This word inspiration is the literal idea that the Scriptures are God-breathed. And so, with an understanding that God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the human agent with the revelation, they used their culture, their language, and their own experiences to write down that revelation. This is why in the Scriptures, we see expressions like, and I saw, or it was something like, or he showed me, or it hadn't the appearance of. The human language of the author was used to communicate the revelation. Christians don't believe in verbal inspiration, meaning we don't believe that God dictated each and every word of the Bible, but rather we believe in thought inspiration. This is where God gave the human agent the thought or the revelation, which was then written down in their own words, hence the inspiration. And this brings us to our third term, prophet. What is the purpose of a prophet? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 19, Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. The meaning of the word prophet is literally God's organ or spokesman. So a prophet is literally the human instrument which God communicated his revelation to and then further on to the wider human family. Now, because the prophets were so influential, it is not surprising that in early history, false prophets appeared pretending to be God's messengers in order to support their own ambition or power and gain personal authority. However, because of this, God has given clear instructions to His people to examine the credentials of all who claim to be prophets. And this is why God has given a number of tests to use when we think we may have a prophet in our midst. These include the true prophet receives visions and dreams, Numbers 12, 6. A true prophet's predictions must come to pass 100% of the time. Jeremiah 28, 9. A true prophet's message will be in complete harmony with the entire revealed Word of God. 
and the law of God. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4, and Isaiah 8, 20. A true prophet prophesies to edify the church with counselings and testimonies. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 and 4. A true prophet will exalt Christ as the Son of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. A true prophet will bear good fruit, which is their character. Matthew 7, 16 through 20. The true prophet, when in vision, will exhibit physical signs. But these are secondary to all the previous tests. Numbers 24.4 and Daniel 10.11-17. So in case you missed it, God used the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to the human mouthpiece called the prophets. And these prophets either communicated that revelation orally or by writing it down. Most of these written revelations, which were inspired by the Holy Spirit, are what we would now call the different books of the Bible. And in order to know if a human is really chosen as a prophet, the Bible gives us a number of tests that we can apply to their life and teachings so that we can be sure. And that is how we got the Bible. Have a blessed day. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.